Everybody, welcome back to Burgundy Radio. It is the final episode of the season, come too soon, again. I'm Steph, and I'm sorry in advance if you hear background noise today. Uh, the heat index has been in the hundreds where I am right now, and my air conditioner has decided, no, I don't think I will. So we're living on a window unit and some fans, and that stuff is loud. And it's also been kind of trying to storm again, because the climate doesn't make any sense anymore. Anyway, sorry in advance if there's background noises today, I'm doing my best. Uh, y'all know what's coming up on the show. The Colorado Avalanche lost four straight to the Vegas Golden Knights, and they should have lost the game before that too, probably. Season is done. Joining me to guide you through every popular explanation, and probably some unpopular ones as well, are, as always, Earl06. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. Tiger Vixen. What's up, Jackie? Greetings. Before we get into this, uh, if you're looking for our takes on the semifinal round, Vegas-Montreal, Tampa-New York Islanders, we're not doing it here. Uh, one of those series is already a game in as we record, but we did publish the staff roundtable on Burgundy Review today, so go check that out, eh? Uh, everyone here is in that piece. Uh, Earl's con Smythe nod is fantastic. And also, in addition to that plug, you should have your ears open for an episode of Talking Out Our Abs in the next week or two. I think it was probably closer to the two, but in the next week or two. Yes, we, we definitely want to wrap up the prospect season. We have not forgotten. <laughs> we begin at the end, because how could we ignore... Game six. Abs lose game six. Six to three is your final. One of those sixes into the empty net. This was a wacky game. Devon Tave scores in the first minute, and Nick Holden ties it less than a minute later with one of the worst goals I've ever seen Philip Grubauer allow. Uh, Vegas would get a 2-1 lead, which Colorado would erase twice. They couldn't keep up with the absolutely unbelievable puck lug Vegas were getting. They scored on shots that deflected twice and three times. They scored on a shot that went wide and bounced off the inboard straight to us forward on the other side of the net. I call these cursed games, uh, where no matter what exactly you do, it just isn't meant to be. But it didn't really start that way. So what did y'all no, make of the definitely first didn't period? Because like Colorado shot about 500 bucks. It's from everywhere, as soon as I got in the zone. And I their, was optimistic. <laughs> and, their and their defensive strategy seemed to be everyone stop every play always. So I have a theory on this, but I the, want to hear yours. What was that? Um, <laughs> okay, the first. Yeah, because there's a lot to kind of wrap your head around with all of this. But um, they obviously got the start they needed, right? They got the first goal, which I went back and looked. The Avs scored first in five of the six games. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's usually a recipe for success. If, if you can score first, you the advantage definitely tilts in your favor by a lot. So it's exactly what they needed. Come out on the road, must win game, and they score first. But to give it back 90 seconds later is just deflating. And I was looking at some clips of the goals that they gave up in that period. It The defensive breakdowns looked like stuff from the WAW era or just when they had no defensemen or no clue it, it, it a lot of it was the forward like the defensemen are all going to get crapped on and some deservedly so but the some of the coverage from the forwards is is like they never played professional hockey before some of it is just absolutely mind-boggling how bad it was that second goal comes to I mind <clears throat> Yeah, it was totally bizarre, um, and, and 
I have some big picture thoughts on on sort of why the the defense kind of left them in this series and, and really got worse, um, even though they played a lot better. Um, but it, but yeah, it's. I mean, I, I think it it a lot of it does boil down to you had your lines just totally jumbled up, and there were there were guys that had been used to playing with each other you know, maybe not all season, but definitely through the playoffs up until you know, the, the beginning of the series. And then it was just, it was some unfamiliar territory out there. And it just, I, I think, I, I think sort of when the blender started, I, I, I can see why Jared Bednar thought he, why he needed to do something like that. But, but there was some, really the there's definitely some unintended yeah, there was definitely some unintended consequences, and it didn't work. So for me, it what, what I think you saw at the beginning of game, of game six was a desperate team playing desperate hockey. Um, yeah. And Earl's unfamiliarity with each other, whether it's, I mean, obviously they're familiar with each other, but like they don't have the kind of, we've been doing this for 30 games in a row familiarity. Um, adding that, into the environment where you better go make this play because somebody's got to make it. Like, and, and that's how you end up with the entire defense running around. And by defense, and I, I mean five guys. And I understand that you, you're going to cheat a little. You're going to try to cherry pick. You're going to try to pinch, join the rush, stuff like that. But there was stuff like three guys covering one or three guys involved in one puck battle or... And, it, and stuff where there's... Are you not familiar with the swarm defense? <laughs> That's what they were doing. Like Some of it was there were five abs still in the zone and three knights and two of them were uncovered. Like, yeah. I, I get that he shuffled the lines and I think for the most part it was a good idea. I think putting Sod on the top line was a good strategy, but... There was nothing that was so exotic that none of these guys had ever played with each other before. I don't think it was the exact sort of line makeups. I think it's the fact that there had been sort of a a, a gradual but constant turnover since basically the, the third game. And it just... I, I think it just added a stress element kind of where they didn't aim one. I mean, you have to be able to have, make changes. I think one of the biggest problems in the whole series was the lack of changes. Well, and if, just... you, if you can't handle having one new line mate, then you're not even close to winning a championship. I don't think it's that so much as... <laughs> that That wasn't what was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, there were some guys that, you know, were, were kind of passengers. They weren't carrying their weight. They weren't in the right spot or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I don't think mixing up the lines was what they needed exactly. It's not I, that I think, it hurt so much as that it just didn't really help. And as the game went right. on, they settled down. Like, they quit doing all this everyone chased the puck nonsense in the second period. They settled down. But that's, yeah. that's why I think so much of it is elimination game adrenaline. Just go, 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 go. Yeah, I mean, that was just, I mean, you know, statistically, that was a good period for them. And it just, 
you just hated leaving the first period playing like that and being down. But it was um, more than just the first period. I mean, right? But it's just that's deflating terrible. when you had the yeah. good start and you had nothing to show for it. You're like, what do we have to do to get a leg up on this team? And well, not leave guys wide open or not yeah. give them rushes where you can't cover back. Maybe shoot that from a hundred like, feet out less. Yeah, like the, I, I feel like the Avs did it to themselves. Now that's not to say that Vegas didn't force that or that they weren't doing things well to to kind of fluster the Avs, but all of their mistakes were mistakes they did to themselves. Really, right? Like Vegas was much less flustering than they had been earlier in the series. I mean, if you look at the way the Avs played in game five and six, you know, if you didn't know the score, you'd be like, you know, I bet the Avs did pretty well in these games. Um, And it's just that that points to the fact that like playing well and then either making mistakes or not getting luck is determining what's going on. And again, that's just, that's, that's a very frustrating feeling to feel so powerless. And then Vegas wasn't getting out of this world goaltending. It was good enough, clearly, but it was, okay, wasn't, yeah. was not on unbeatable mode. No, he was fine. And, and I think even Vegas was the more tired team. Like they were more banged up. They were, even the coach admitted that there were a lot of guys that have already really feel like they've, they've been through the ringer. And, and so it's just all these things add up where it, it is so frustrating that the abs couldn't get it together. Like they completely lost their poise, their composure. And it was long before game six where you, you could really tell that they had lost. I think some people have put momentum. I don't know if I'd necessarily call it momentum, but um you know, they did start playing better in game five and six. Like, I'm glad they at least went out on a competitive note. I'm glad that they could, they're matching them goal for goal. But just to give up a goal 90 seconds after you score, to give up a goal right before the end of a period, like, you know, those are things that lose you hockey games. And it's, it's just frustrating yeah. that they could even just win another game. Like, if they had just won one more and got it to game seven – you would have or felt beginnings like of periods. They, they gave up a ton of goals at the beginning of periods, too. They just... There was really no punchback. Like, at least the game... Like, the game four was the worst just from the feeling standpoint. Like, they just got their ass kick, kicked in that game. And, yeah, they made some headway back in analytics because, well, there's, a lot of it was garbage time. But, you know... it. It felt like they almost quit in that game. Like it just gave you such a disgusting feeling. And the series was tied to too. But you just knew. You knew they did not have it anymore. And then by the time game five rolls around, you're thinking, okay, right. We're still tied. We're playing at home. Anything can happen. That's why you play these games. And I was trying to feel, I was feeling some optimism. You never know. And, and they led two periods of that game, and they found such easy ways to give that game back. And then, and then game six, like the one we're talking about, at least they they matched them goal for goal. It was a game. It was entertaining. 
you felt like the Avs could at least accomplish something, but they just, they never had any control. And, and then, and they're done. And it's, it's so bizarre to be on a Friday night having won 11 straight games, including six in the postseason. You're up two to nothing in a really tough series and six and exactly seven days later on Thursday, you're done and you didn't win another game. It feels like we all like just grabbed onto the two, whatever we could grab a hold of. I don't know what the parts are called, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. Just grabbed hold of a part of a drag racing car. <clears throat> and this was back in, you know, January and it's been going and it hit a wall. Boom. Couple ammo. Yeah, they're just done. It's over. It's all falling apart. And find something else to do now. Right, and we're not going to hear from anybody. Like every, just vanish into the night, and it, it's it's just over. Everyone's gone. There's hardly any closure. It's just done. That's a really good analogy you made, Steph. Just because that kind of I don't know. Just as you were saying that, I was like, that's that's exactly it. Um, it just they it, they burned out and just hit the wall, and I don't. It's it's just frustrating. And, and if you look back, like the last three seasons, their rec their record in the playoffs is twenty and fourteen. <laughs> they haven't gotten out of the second round. And it's funny; those were game sevens, and they couldn't even have a game seven in this one. And they they started down in those series that they got it to game seven. This mm -hmm. is what we said on the podcast last week. You know, we didn't feel great about game three. But we said, hey, they started this season, this series with the lead. They still have it. That's the difference between this year and the other the second round series. And you're not in trouble to lose one at home. And then yeah. it seems and like they, losing one on the road was all it took. Yeah, they definitely lost this series in games three and four. And yeah, the, the reason you can say that is because in games three and four, they sucked. Like you're yeah. gonna have like the playoffs are decided by bounces. The the best team does not win that often. Bounces decide the playoffs every single season. You see it every single year. You see it in the final every single year. Like it happens from first round on. But if you come out and you suck, you're not gonna get bounces. It's not happening. Yeah. And so and as soon as you come out and you lay an egg and you come out into game four and we're going to get to game four in a second and, and you change nothing and the same thing happens. I can't believe it. I think that's where they lost it was between game three and four. And you'd say game three was your first loss. You're not going to panic this and that. Like you expect to have adversity in a tough series against a good team, but you had to look at reality. You had to look at what was happening you had to look at how game two went, even though they did win that one, they played very poorly and they needed a response in game four. They got a they, bounce there. <laughs> <laughs> they needed, they needed a, something to change that series in game four. And that's when they just came out and they were just, I feel like not engaged. Like they, that was after Bednar called out the top guys. I think he was trying to call out more of the top defensemen than the top guys, but you know, the, the top line did nothing. That was the only game that Miko didn't have a point in. It was just, they lost it in that game four. 
is and, and that's why we felt so bad after it after that one because we knew and it wasn't just like being emotional fans being upset they're losing and everything's not wonderful it, it was just like you knew it was more of a deep down like they've completely lost control that it felt wrong um it, it's not often that you can point directly at the influence of coaching and at the nhl level um but when 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 Bednar comes into Game 3 and says, look, the end of Game 2, the way Game 2 ended, that makes me want to make some changes. So he changes who, you know, what, what, what what's on the forward roster. On the, in, the, in the lineup and the forwards, words in the correct order. Just pretend I said something smart there. Um, and we come out into Game 3, maybe even worse than Game 2. Um, a game that Philip Grubauer was firmly in line to steal until that third period. Um, that, that would have been absolutely a stolen game. Um, and we, and they probably win the series because yeah, absolutely would have had enough, but instead what happens is that with the abs drop game three, Bednar comes out to the media and says, my guys need to fucking try harder and puts the same ones on the ice and they try harder to do the same thing and they get the same result. Mm. That burns. Yeah. Yeah. It, that would. That's where he lost it. That's where he didn't make any any changes. He would have been justified doing anything. Um. And it. Yeah, he did them a disservice going into that, and it's it's like you know you have a good team, and 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 you play your game, and you're not so much worried about the other team. Like I get all those things. They, you go out and you play your game, and. And that's how you find success. But you can't ignore that you're in a series against a good team across from you. And you need to have a game plan. You need you can't just react to everything. You have to stay a step ahead of what they're trying to do. And Vegas was very clear about how they wanted to match up, how they wanted to play, the the things that they were going to do. I think DeBoer even said, like, we're going to keep doing it until they stop us. Well, guess what? We didn't. Made it pretty yeah, easy th- on him. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I, I know we discussed this before, but, I, I, you know, taking a, a deeper view at the series, it's like it's Sampo Ranta did add some energy, and obviously he was, you know, totally lost out there at times and, um, you know, really didn't contribute that much of what he can do on the ice, and I'm sure that's frustrating for him, but um, it, it looked like, in retrospect, you're kind of blaming Newhook and and Ranta for not playing well, and then you put Carl and Sherwood in, and it just it flopped. And even though Carl scored a goal, but it just I, I, I... they were terrible in Game Four. Like if you want to make the argument because they scored the goal in Game Three, they deserve to stay in. I mean, you need to look at the rest of their performance, how they completely gave momentum away because they had such a terrible shift, but... Right, it's like yeah. that first shift in Game 3, that might have been the turning point of the series. Might have um, been. And I, I know we, we touched on it last week, but it just... Um, that definitely feels like it. It's like you make that change and it, it just kills you first shift. Um. You know that's bad, and it, 
like I don't mind Sherwood. There are things that he can do that can help the team, you know, in a vacuum. And and the same goes for Carl. But it's just you're kind of getting away from your identity as a team when you when you made those those changes. And and obviously, like like you had to replace Sambo. You just you know he wasn't ready. Um, well, but I, I I think Newhook was actually fairly fine. I, I think he would have been fine if he had stayed in the lineup. And and I think you kind of kicked a little confidence away from him anyway. Or even give it's, him one night off. He doesn't need to miss game four as well. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think, okay, I think part of it was they're going on the road. So he Yeah, and they wanted a heavier the, lineup that, and, and they were getting pushed around and stuff like that. But again, it's like that's going away from your identity and, and you, you can... You can put that also on like why Patrick Nemeth, you know, well, got yeah. so much ice time, <laughs> um, even though he was really not that effective. And it's like well, he is he is the the guy that doesn't fit. Um, you know, it's like Timmons. I thought, even though statistically he didn't look that great in the series, I, I thought he played some of his best. Right, I thought wow. he played some of the best hockey you know, as a pro so far. Um, and it's, I, don't, uh, it, I wouldn't quite put it that way, but I, I mean, there's several things to unpack here. It's like the forwards drive me crazy because you prepare the entire year and this is what you come up with. Like, yes, in a vacuum, sure what's good. Okay. For a game or two here, but Bednar's gotten frustrated and taken him out of the lineup multiple times. Like right. he's a guy that you might get one game of like try hard energy and and O'Connor is sort of in the same way. I think he can last longer for effectiveness, but it's sort of the same thing. Or if your game is entirely based on just speed and try hard and hunt the puck that um it, it's going to wear thin very quickly. And it, it just drives me crazy that year after year after year you're left with these guys in the playoffs to insert into your lineup because you don't have anything better. Like Sherwood's okay, but there's a reason why he didn't even play on a bad Ducks team the year before. It's like the Avs think they're so smart and they're such geniuses that they find these guys under rocks that couldn't play for teams that are worse than them. And, and it have like this found money and every single time they figure it out after like five or 10 games, it's happened with multiple people this year, Middleton, O'Brien, they never played again. Like there's a reason why. And Bednar got pretty tired of Sherwood at point. And, and that's your big change for game four. First of all, like not even to mention the craziness of even just trying Sampo in the second round which goes against every single thing that you're that you're preaching but you know you put yeah. him in that's fine you put him in I don't really know what they were expecting from him I thought he was okay in that role but, and then and then you're just like oh well that's it for the creativity now we're going back to all the bums yeah it's not just bums but it's just it's getting slower it's getting older um and it's like all right I I you know I think we were both watching NBC the other night when they had the graphics of all all the defensemen left in the playoffs, and it's like you know this team, you know everybody's six five, two hundred and fifty pounds, and yeah, and then you get to the Avs, and everyone's like six foot one ninety. 
Um, right, and they're trying and to say and, and that's I, what the problem is. Hey, well, you well, know what? The- I, I, I mean, there is like there is something to that. Like you know, that's that that is something that the abs have to overcome. And they have but, to do it with their skating. They have to do it with their speed. They have to do it with their skill. And it's like when you hamper them by putting slower players in or players that can't. Yeah. But honestly, it wasn't the physicality that Vegas brought that killed the Avs. It was their speed. It was the combination of both. Because you, you, you expect Vegas to bring that heavy physicality, but when you add how quickly they can play too, that hurts. And and one thing that really kind of played into the speed angle of it was Colorado's forwards were just like, see ya. And until game five, yeah. there was no puck support. And the, the same yeah. problem that we continue to see every December when Colorado decides to, I think we'll just suck for a while. It was the same thing. It was the older players, the slower players, and the forwards flying the zone. The same story again. But yeah, like we Vegas, did finally Vegas. figure it out and get it, and get back to normal for game five. So cool too late right and and it was better right like it was better at least five and six were watchable and were competitive but why they gave up goals and why they lost in those games was for the same reason and and yeah like i was saying we know that vegas has a good four check they they have heavy forwards but it's what they do with it that makes the difference for them and to have half of your defense flow like the Timmons thing, I'm not as in love with him as others are. Like, his foot speed is a problem. Like, he he can mitigate it pretty good because he's a smart player. But it's, it's something you cannot combine him with other slower players. And I don't think that he had done enough in the playoffs to get a free pass to, and a guarantee to play every single game. Like, mix in some other players, give some different looks, first of all. And then the Nemeth thing. Like, he wasn't good enough to play in the second round two years ago against San Jose. But yet, he's not coming out of the lineup no matter what. No matter how many mistakes he makes, no matter how slow he is, no matter how he never got the defensive system. Like, it never clicked for him. Right, and that's. I mean, I mean, we can disagree on on Timmy having a decent series or not, but the you know the fact remains that Nemeth was the problem, and he wasn't coming out. Well, and, the problem was, also and that, that and that just were... that's a trap that that you know Bednar laid for himself and fell into. Oh, he had well, a, he had a little bit of help reason. with the acquisition of Nemeth in the first place. Right. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure he said he was fine with it. Yeah, you can see the political reasons for Nemeth. The, because they spent a fourth round pick like he was the one they spent the most for at the deadline and because of this uh, this excuse that he's the guy the penalty kills and the penalty kill was pretty decent which is true it is they, they, is that, they were good on the penalty kill is that worth it enough to have 10 to 14 other minutes where you're just like holy shit yeah. but <laughs> there there should have been no political or a performance-wise reason why Byram couldn't play instead of Timmons. Like, if we're being realistic, that's what it was down to. It was never going to be Byram or Nemeth. It was always Byram or Timmons. And that's the wrong swap, but it still would have been in the positive direction. 
And right. after after game three would have been the time to do it. When I argued for it last week, he didn't play in the third period in game three and almost none in game two. Like, he was decent, but I'm not going to say, like, really good or anything in the series because he was pretty limited. And if you have a guy that you played seven minutes and he doesn't play any of the third period, you, you can't take that guy out of the lineup. He's also a younger guy. He'd only had 33 NHL games up to that point, and you can't put Byram in, then there's a problem. Well, I mean, I again, I, I, I think the problem is that the guy that needed to be replaced wasn't coming out. Um, because I, I wouldn't have taken Timmons out. Um, you know, I it's mean, like the, the Graves, was definitely the Graves and Gerard pair was a, was a nightmare. It was, and it, that's And it's why... like you needed to make you needed to sort of rethink basically everything about how you were using the defense and and how you were pairing them up. And this is um, why that it makes no sense to me because we saw all year, and really, and with Bednar and Pratt together, their philosophy on defense is to mix the pairs all the time. They mixed it so much this year that I didn't even really care what was called quote unquote, a pair because it just didn't matter. And you had, I looked it up. Gerard played with Taze almost twice as much as he played with anybody else this year in the, in the regular season. He played, I think this, the fifth, I think fifth least with Taze in the playoffs. It was less than he played with Timmons is how much he played with Taze. And it was static pairs. It was set. They were bad and no changes. Like that's not even asking him to do anything beyond his typical philosophy. Why? I mean, just it's confounding. It doesn't make any sense. What, why do you, approach it one way and then the playoffs it's so bad that you you can't even do what you normally do and then you're just stuck in in a terrible decision and you do nothing about it yep yeah i mean i I think yeah i mean i I think when we look back on on sort of a wide view at this of, of this series you know the the defensemen get a lot of heat and in Rightly so, but they just got no help from the coaching staff. Um, they got no—I mean, they got no help from anybody. They got no help with from the forwards. Well, I mean, the coaching staff could and, have fixed that quicker, you know. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> they—they do tend to figure that out. And it, Bednar even said later on in the series, like, "Yeah, we we did something. We we got the forwards back, helping the the defensemen out a little bit." Well, better. they did. Like, they well, just looks like well, hopefully it's not too late. Yeah, yeah, they started supporting more. They just forgot how to cover in the defensive zone. Was, yeah. was the difference there. But but right, they just hung these guys out to dry, and it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense why you're just telling Vegas what you're going to do over and over, and they just say, that's great, we'll, we'll just keep doing it. And, yeah. And great, I mean, <laughs> the way Graves was playing, I, I saw live in game five, it was painfully obvious. Well, and happening? also, I, I think, you know, what you were mentioning about the, the pairs not being very set, I think that is an advantage for the Avs because it's harder for 
the other team to plan for that. If Makar is out there with Gerard sometimes, with Graves sometimes, with Taves sometimes, with Timmy sometimes, it's like it, it's it's different, maybe to a subtle degree, but it's different enough that you can't do the same thing every time and get the same result like they were. And then I think you're locked into those static pairs because you've got three defenders who can skate and move the puck. You've got one defender who can move the puck but cannot skate. You've got one defender who can almost skate and almost move the puck just enough to get himself in trouble both ways. And you've got Patrick Nemeth. <laughs> so you've, you've got to have somebody who can move the puck on every, on like on the ice. And yeah. or, or you have to quarantine like your worst minutes together just to give yourself the best chances with the other pairs. You can't rotate all the way through um like the Avs like to do all regular season where they've had so much success doing when you can't feel secure in all six defenders and you're you're just stuck with 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 what works and you you try your best with it and you you roll with what you got cuz that's that's all there is um and that's and that's a huge competitive advantage i firmly believe the reason why the abs are as good a team as they are is because of the unique advantage they have with the defensemen that like we said that you can mix it up they can all play with each other that you can have speed and puck skill and intelligence on every line all the time they're always on the ice and then you intentionally make your decor worse and easier to, to expose by a team that's very fast. They Vegas was really good at blocking shots. They knew that all, all Graves was going to do was take point shots. They can block it, turn the other way. They can beat him back to the puck, and that's how they won game five. Oh, can that's, I repeat my fun fact here? Maybe. Yes, please. How the, fun is the it? Graves took, it's, it's really fun. Like a total David Driscoll Kerrigan level fun. Oh, boy. Um, Hold on. Ryan Graves. <laughs> Ryan Graves attempted 14 shots during this series at 5v5. 10 of them were blocked. And I would imagine just half of those were back in the off the defensive zone or in our defensive yeah. zone. <laughs> and yeah, I mean it's and they're not all like that. That's not all like, you know, a Barry Shinpad special. And we're going to get like, to that. We're we're going to get to that. Right. They're, you know, and the, and the only player for either team that was even close to that is Nick Holden took 17 attempts and had 11 blocked. Um, well, he scored a goal, though, so he's off the schneid. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, Nick, he was better than Graves, like Holden. And oh, I mean, yeah. we know that, oh, yeah. that, he, that he's been a decent NHL caliber player ever since he left, but... Holden's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you weren't even getting fined from Graves. No, you weren't. And, the thing and this, this is a team that has consistently gotten fine out of graves. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Your, your your defense is very obviously not functioning because you're doing something different with it because you had to run out and, and buy Patrick Nemeth at the deadline, which is a move that this show sort of defended. We thought would probably yeah. not hurt. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we're really right about out. that. The we didn't think that it would keep a Byram out of the lineup and B that they would refuse to take him out. Like I, you know, when they cut, they acquire somebody at the deadline, you figure, yeah, they're pretty much going to play this guy, but they sat Carl. 
Yeah. Right. Well, it cost Carl less. had the exact same problem. He was too slow and, and didn't fit in. But he cost less. And he didn't penalty kill. He sure didn't. They didn't paint themselves into a corner with him. But the, those yeah, two moves, just... and I, I can hear y'all's brains when we talk about the fourth line forwards. I can hear y'all saying Nathan McKinnon had zero points in game three, game four, game five. I can I can hear you. You're, we're talking about the fourth line forwards because your fourth line is probably not going to win you a playoff game. If it does, you're laughing. But ooh, if it can, if it loses you a playoff game, you're done. And the ads are done. And, and that seems to happen to them. Is yeah, they and they get beat by the other team's fourth liners. Vegas's fourth line was disgusting. This entire series, they had their way with the ice. They got whatever they wanted. Except for game one, which we can pretty much write off game one. They they got everything they wanted. They were always in the offensive zone. The fourth line. Give me a break. <clears throat> and so, it, it's because all the all the lines broke down. I mean, we could talk about the forwards too and the, the problems that they had with the forwards. That Jost absolutely got murdered in this series. Terrible. He, I, there's just no words. I mean, he's he's had a good year. He had a good defensive year. In this series, Vegas did whatever they wanted with him on the ice. And then on top of that, he was winning less than 30% of his face-offs. He took less than 30% offensive zone draws. He was in the D zone constantly losing all those face-offs. And I think most of us are, we all believe that, you know, the whole face off things overblown. It's, it's just a narrative when someone Not wants when to it's talk to about that degree. Yeah. How awesome somebody is, but you just keep rolling someone out like that and they're just getting killed just over and over and over again. And it, it didn't matter. I mean, it, well, then it, when they split him and Nachushkin up, that really sealed his fate. It hurt both of them. Yeah. He, got... he was just even worse. It, it and hurt the both funny of them. Yeah. Because Jost is, is good in, in the zone, and Nachushkin is good in the neutral. And when you take them apart, you have Nachushkin, who's pretty good at keeping you from getting through the neutral zone on him, but then you get him around either goal, and you're holding on for dear life. <clears throat> and Jost is the exact opposite. So if Jost can't win a face-off, now he's scrambling in his own zone. And yeah, face-offs face -off, face in a small sample, they're pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, and the Vegas series, Jost only took eight offensive zone face-offs i think it was 31 defensive zone 23 neutral zone that's insane especially for you're looking at the result if you go went into the series and you thought that he and nuke were gonna hold up defensively fine but you just you have to do something and just moving nuke off that line and keeping him out there continue to get killed wasn't it that's a huge reason why they lost and it wasn't even they were losing to Vegas's third and fourth line. Mm -hmm. well, they weren't even I getting mean, killed by one of the two top lines. And, and that's one of the reasons I didn't like the shuffle that they did, at least to the degree. It's just they, it seemed like they took things that were working or could possibly have made a rebound, you know, like keeping Jost and Nachushkin together. Um, and it... <sighs> It, it just it just seemed like the the changes they made were fairly random, um, and it's I weird. Mean, like, I, all right, I rag on Comfer all the time, and, and if you look at Comfer's numbers from the series, he was probably one of the best Avs forwards there was. I don't know he, if I'd say best. I'd say he was 
I'm saying statistically. Comfort was but on the a- ice for a lot of pretty dangerous shots. He was even on the dangerous shot taking end of a lot of those dangerous shots. And he, he saw the a lot result, of which was a whole lot of almost and a whole lot of oh boy. Yeah. Exactly. So over. And, and, that, so and over. that is better than what he usually is. But he also got to play with Landy, Nuke, and that line took most of the offensive zone draws. The two forwards that started the most in the offensive zone were Landy and Comfer. And so, yeah, that's part of why his numbers look like acceptable or passable is because he got that kind of favor. And, and Gabe well, is one of your better players in his but, own zone. Gabe helped keep the three-headed monster above water defensively. So putting him in the offensive zone is a choice. Right. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. You, just There's a lot of numbers you look at from this series, and it, you just, like, it makes no sense what they were doing. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's why, I, you know, I, I've said this the last two years, and I'll say it again. What the Avs need, and all right, you know, you don't have to fire Ray Bennett, but you need to bring in someone um, that can give Jared Bednar options offensively, because this happens every year. They stop scoring and then they lose. And the reason they stop scoring is because they're fairly one-dimensional, and it's like even this year when they've added the cycle game to basically every line rather than just maybe one. So it's like they had good transition, they had a good cycle going, and that just sort of fell apart, and they went back to shooting from the point. Because um, that's the only way they could get the puck close to the net, and it just that's just not going to work in this year, you know, 2021 NHL. I mean, there's teams need- that it works kind of okay for, but the Avalanche are not built to be one of those teams because they are dismal at crashing and getting rebounds. They're not built to do right. that. Yeah, they've never been. The best thing they do is sometimes the tip play, which mm-hmm. okay, that that can work too. But yeah, right. that's basically the only from the thing point, they can do. More than you, you know, more than you could guess is possible, but still. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's the defenseman pinching, and it's it's them joining the rush. I thought it was funny that Tim had said like the thing they really needed to do before Game Five was join the rush, and. <laughs> saw how that one worked out oh yeah heartburn yeah <laughs> but um yeah like a huge part of what they do that's different and creative is activating those defensemen like that but a you need to have the fast skilled intelligent ones out there to do it yep we're we're gonna get to that um we've kind of already got into the series as a whole and we do kind of need to double back a little bit on games four and five um, before we do that, I want to mention one conversation that was had on, on the server at some point, because I, th- I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, it was when the scoring had started to dry up, someone had suggested, add, and it was probably you, Earl, uh, adding someone to the Avs to help on the offensive side of things to make goals happen. And uh, one of the suggestions that came out there from somebody was Bruce Boudreaux. Which I thought was yeah. the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life, because we're going to try to help the Avs win in the playoffs by hiring... Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> so Colorado got worked in game three, changed nothing, came out for game four, and got worked again. 5-1 the final, as mustered 11 shots on goal in the second and third periods. Total, not each, total. The Avs went, I want to think, seven or eight 
periods in a row with less than 10 shots on goal. That is, okay. This is also the last time the officials would call a discretionary penalty on the Golden Knights, which was Alex Tuck for roughing with JT Comfer, which ended up in a penalty kill for Colorado because it was offsetting. And uh, Andre Burakovsky had just got called for holding. Petrangelo charged Burakovsky well after the whistle, but that was apparently fine. Um, Colorado got their final discretionary power play of the series in the first period of game four. It lasted 22 seconds because Kale McCarr was called for sharing the same ice as Riley Smith, which they both have the right to. Yeah, that was pretty crap. And, and that hurt yeah. him, too. It was a bad call and it hurt him. But you, you have to another... go all the way back to game three for the last discretionary power play. The Avalanche were allowed to play to completion. And it was for hooking Kiefer Sherwood, of all people. Everything else <laughs> yeah. was pucks over the glass. So I would like to go ahead and handle this particular narrative how much did Pete DeBoer whining to the media change the outcome of this series? I, I think it's clear after a whine, you see it the next game. You see who gets the first power play. Beyond that, I don't think it buys you anything past that. Now, one could argue, hey, if you get the first power play in the game and you score on it, that can change a game, that can change a series. But do I think it happened here? No because I think Vegas only scored two power play goals, which is a stark contrast to what happened last year in the Dallas series. Like, this was not a special team series, and the Avs held their own. I think, what, they have five? Five to Vegas is two. And I guess you could complain that, like, yeah, when they stopped calling penalties, did that hurt the Avs? I would say no. I don't know if Vegas got a bunch of power plays that that penalty kill would have held up. Going into the series, I wanted it to be five on five as much as possible. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, but that was how they were going to win this series. They weren't going to win in penalty fest. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're you're sort of making the assumption that the refs are aware of these whining comments and things like that, or that someone. They um, definitely do. <laughs> the, yeah, it's a, co a coach whines and and you get the first you get the first one. Like that happened after Bruve whined. That happened after DeBoer whined. And well, all right, but if you look at it, just if you don't if you didn't know that DeBoer whined, I mean, you, you sort of look at what happened in the first game. Is you know Vegas didn't come out and play hockey. Um, and they just got called for everything, and then that kind of continued into the first period of game two. And then basically from then on, they didn't call much. I mean, I guess what you're saying is it could be in coincidence. Like, you could say the coach said this, and there's a 50% chance you're getting the first power play or not. Maybe it just comes up that way. It's a coincidence. I mean, it's, maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, just, not. I think it does buy you a little bit, but then you can't go too far with it because then you just get fined and then the refs give you nothing. <laughs> right. It, it's pretty clear that the as the series went on, the, the officials called fewer penalties. That That's normal. That always happens. Officials are cowards. I don't know if I, if I can remember the last time I saw a game five and six that had one penalty per side each, and one of those for one of those teams happened to be a puck over the glass. Like... The, the the main thing that makes an NHL official willing to call a penalty is if there's currently a penalty imbalance in the game. So if you call the Avalanche for tripping somebody, if you, if you call Andre Burakovsky for horse-collaring Alex Tuck into the boards, that's a penalty. You should probably call that. 
And now, in, in the league's fucking head, you've got an imbalance. So now the Vegas are owed a penalty. They put the puck over the glass. Sweet! I'm free! I don't have to actually influence the game now. Cowards. <laughs> Cowards. Yeah, it, it is crap. It It is frustrating. I, I agree with that. I just don't think that's why the Avs lost. Like, I... As much as I've spent the last two, three years complaining about the power play, there's no way that you can say that's what lost the series. Like, they should have scored on more. It was hilarious. I saw an article from NHL.com, and it was like, Avs lose. Yeah, well, this this definitely was. It was, I mean, this is like Chambers-level dumb, and it <laughs> came from, from, you know, people, national writers that at least have some sort of standard to uphold. But it was like, you know, Avs lose in second round, and then the subhead was power play fails them. And you read in the article, and it was like, going into the series, the Avs had a 40-something percent power play, but they only converted on 30-something percent in the Vegas series. Hence, that's what one of the big reasons why they lost. And I'm just like, I, I can't believe somebody... Like, that's something you read on like a message board, like some insane theory that someone comes up with. That's not something that someone actually gets paid to write for the national website to come up with as the main reason why the Avs lost this series. If Colorado's power play performed at a 50% clip <laughs> between game five and six, they would have got one goal. One goal. And yeah, that would have won game five, but that's beside the point. Um, yeah. But Vegas probably would have got more power plays. It's just, they would have. Yeah. And the Avs, power, I, Avs penalty kill would have got exposed. But yeah, to argue that any team should be at a higher than 30-something percent clip at in, in any sample size That's is hilarious. absurd. It's hilarious. I love it. I, <laughs> I, you're reading Birdcage Lightning. I don't know why you've done this. Yeah. Um... And we can't forget Game 5 either. I think we'd like to forget Game 4 because it kind of wraps up with Game 3 into one bundle of shit. Um, but Game 5, Colorado got out to a two-goal lead, thanks in part to a hilarious softie scored by Brandon Sod, who was awesome the whole playoffs, by the way. Brandon Sod. He was. Oh my god. He came to play, that's for sure. Um, Fleury tried to glove a puck over his blocker shoulder for some reason. Didn't work out for him. Then in the third period, Andre Burakovsky has a soft clearing attempt, not make it over the blue line, and it goes right in the net. And then <clears throat> Gabe Landeskog either passes way too hard for Comfort to handle or tries to pass through him to Ryan Graves, who was pinching for... I, I don't know. You tell me why he was up in the Russian one-goal game in the third period. Went off his boot the other way, right into the net. Abs That's lose, the fourth guy. Abs lose 3-2 <laughs> in overtime to a Tyson Berry special. As Graves takes a shot, blocked, takes another shot, blocked even harder, out into the neutral zone, breakaway, right into the net. Three critical errors, and this game is given away. How much do the Avs simply shoot themselves in the foot in this series? This game's pretty clear, uh, with on-ice turnovers. Yeah, it just... Well, I was at this game, at game five, and that was the, the side of the ice that I was seated at was to see all three of those pucks go in the net oh. so oh, so this was your i saw yeah it's possible 
I was I was wearing a Byram jersey as my silent protest. So maybe it was my fault. <laughs> but with a free sign taped over his name, above his name, actually. By the way. So if any of you all saw that, that was me. So yeah, it, it was like watching the car crash happen in slow motion. They they worked so hard to get that two goal lead. They had a lot of chances they weren't burying, but they they had the two goals. You go into the third period of a playoff game at home against a very good team, you just it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean I remember watching it and like the Burkowski's turnover. You're just like, oh wow, that's just poor puck management. But the <laughs> Like, why did Graves feel he needed to be the fourth man in on that rush? You're just like, God, just play a little conservative with a 2-0 or 2-1 at and that point. And it went away so fast, too. Like, that first yeah. one was, like, right It was less than five period. minutes, yeah. And then it the was, second like, three one, minutes. Yeah, and the second one wasn't super far behind. And then you're just like, oh, my God, you know, now the best we can hope for is overtime. And then that was over quick, too. But, no, the Burkhoff's, like... He made a poor decision, and everyone's saying like Berkey cost us. I have watched. I was watched it live, and I knew the coverage was poor. But I like zap rooted that clip. Nemeth was puck watching. He did. He had Tuck in front of him. That was his man. He didn't see Tuck move until he was behind him with the puck on his stick. Well, he's that trying goal, to leave the zone. He's no, trying to he fly wasn't. the zone. No, he wasn't. He was behind Burakovsky. Timmons was the one on the other side of the ice that was closer to exiting. Nemeth right. was actually behind Burakovsky and had Tuck in front of him. So that, to me, like, there's been way too much emphasis on, like, the, the first turnover, which isn't good, but it, it's also every, absolutely everything else that happens after the turnover. Like, that goal is just as much on him as it was on Burakovsky. Like, right, to, but it's just that, like, where he turned it over is it just right exactly where they tell you never to turn it over. It's like right why. in the middle, inside your blue line. I mean, it's just that's the it's worst place. Terrible. He did have three guys on him, too. That's true. And it's just, it, it's also part of just the poor support the poor coverage it's it's just insane so they you get to the graves thing and honestly i think the i think bednar and the staff emphasized joining the rush so much that he just says this is this is what i'm told i joined the rush i mean who knows we don't know if they're told on the bench back off a little or if it's just like this is what coach wants me to do he wants me to join the rush and it doesn't matter how slow i am it doesn't matter that the only guy back is Sam who's going to get crucified because, boy, he was on the ice for another goal against. Like, he could do anything in that situation. <laughs> and, yeah, they all gave it up. Landy gave a terrible pass. It looks like Comfort even tips it behind him if he even got a stick on it. Graves was too far up. Like, it's one thing to join, but you don't need to be ahead of the forwards when you're the slowest guy on the ice. Right. Like, you know, that... that play has been you know highlighted a million times and you're just like boy if graves is just two steps back like where you'd kind of want to be if you're going to take a shot um that's fine yeah completely fine 
And, and, and the, the other side of it is, like, yes, the question, is, as I bump all my shit, my question, the, the question is, why does Graves join that rush? The the counter question is, why are we surprised? He did it, that's what he does. He's done it all season long. It's led to goals while leading in the third period all season long. Why are we surprised? I'm not, because I also yeah, know I mean, it's I, what the, co- the staff wants. If they were unhappy with Right, his- it's just it, it, the execution of what he did. Like, again, like, yeah. when I was watching it, I mean, I knew what happened on that play, but it's like, when I was watching it for the first time, I'm like, man, it's just, he's two steps ahead of where he should be. It's like, if, if he's two steps back, then Lanny's pass is right exactly where, like, you'd want it to be. And it's like, you're just not in the right position. I don't know if he wasn't looking at Landy or what, but... He may have and, been and trying those... to be that pad pass kind of trailer where he wasn't expecting it. The puck fired all the way across the ice at him. And it's like, we, we had an, yeah. an argument on one Discord trying to figure out who was Gabe passing to, Comfort or Graves. And we could not come to a consensus. Yeah. No, I mean, it's sad. tough to tell. I honestly think he was trying to pass to Graves because Graves was open. Comfort was not. Yeah, Comfort had at least one guy near right next to him and another guy near him but yeah it was just and it's one play right like i know you can dissect every play you can say like these guys were wrong with this that and that's every goal but it's just over and over and over again this happened and i could see it live like you can see what vegas's strategy is when you're watching them execute it over and over again is they either block it or they they flip the pucks out they don't even need to exit the zone with possession they just flip the puck out if they can win one race they have an odd man rush and that's all they kept doing over and over and over again and there was a couple of times that happened where a a harmless puck would would find itself in the neutral zone and all of a sudden it's a vegas two-on-one three-on-two and i'm sitting here going how did that turn into this and and that's how, because they're, they're yeah, I mean, trying that... to take advantage of a slower defender. Right. And th- and this is how the Habs used to play when Julien was their coach. I mean, it's like they they don't worry about, you know, making a tape-to-tape pass in that situation. They're just trying to put it into space where, you know, their guy has a, you know, as good or better chance of coming up with it. And you can get a lot of breakaways that way. And it's like, you only need to see that a couple times before you're like, oh, golly, we should probably look for that. And they never yeah, did. I, I could see it right in front of my face. Like, it's happening. These guys are going across to you on the bench. It's, <laughs> I didn't need to sit there in game five <laughs> to see it. Like, you saw it, too. And the other thing is that Yavs were not covering the point men it, in the defensive zone. Like, those guys were open all the time. And it was either the defenseman, which we saw with, like, the holding goal... But it, it's also the ones that were allowed, that were uncovered. Like when Carlson scored at, and uh, Pietro, I can never say his name right off the top of my head. But the way that he had nobody covering him all the way from up in the blue line, it's just, why was no one covering back like that? It was like they were all playing the collapse arama five guys around the net, and nobody was even covering anyone up in space. I don't know if that was a strategy, oh, if that was just breakdown constantly over and over again. No, it's 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 insane because all right, the Avs defensemen took ninety eight shots from the point or something like that, and they had half of them blocked. 
And Vegas took 133 shots from the point, well, by their defensemen, and had three less than the Avs did blocked. So it's like they were not being covered like Jackie was saying. It's like they were not being challenged. They were getting the pucks through. And Colorado doesn't mind that. They'll they'll let Philip Grubauer see low-danger low shots all night long, which did finally burn them when he didn't know where the puck went. But uh, Vegas's game is, a, is they're trying to block shots. I, I'm just pointing out the discrepancy in effectiveness between the two defensive corps. Yeah, and I, I'm, I, I'm disagreeing that the, that the premise is about effectiveness because the teams don't, like, Vegas tries to block shots more than Colorado does. It's a bigger part of their game. I think okay, that's the fair. Avs holding them holding them to the outside for low danger is valid because I they they do that a lot. I don't recall them just completely vacating the top third half of top third of the ice and and letting them get those shots through because they weren't low danger. No, they they only right. do that on the penalty kill when they've had the same guys on the ice for a minute and a half. So I don't, I don't know if that was a strategy. I don't know if that was just the forwards blowing assignment over and over and over again, and not even attempting to challenge the points. So I don't know. But that's that's one thing I noticed when the defensive zone was right in front of me. And then one final angle I want to take on this stuff. Um, Cole Hamilton, friend of the show, likes to point out um, that other teams have plenty of bad turnovers. And, <laughs> and the difference here was that the Avs got saves on zero of them. Mm-hmm. Phil yeah, Kubauer in game five and game six. Ooh, not good enough. I think Grubauer is skating by a bit. And, and part of it is because we saw those hor- the horrifying turnovers and the, and, and the stuff that you, you just say he had such a tough task ahead of him. Like if you look up the number of high danger shots he faced, it is some of the most in the playoffs. I think only Winnipeg gave up as many high danger looks, but he just, the rate that he saved them at was so poor. And then just overall, even if you include the blues series, he, I think he had one of the, the second worst goals saved above average. It's like it wasn't yeah. good enough Over, overall. He did enough. He, he was doing enough in general, I think, to lead them to winning the series. But, but like you said, in game five and six in particular, he wasn't really saving any of the big mistakes. Right. I, 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 I've seen the statistics and I, and I have wondered about it. Like, you know, is, it, is this a, a Grubauer thing? Because... You know, I kind of thought he blew the San Jose series two years ago as well. And there wasn't a lot of statistical evidence for it. So it's like, it's really tough to lay it on him, but it just seems like it. Um, This time there is statistical evidence. And I, I, you know, I I do think he had a really tough job, especially when you're kind of shell-shocked after the Avs kind of taking a powder in, in games three and four, then you come back and they, you know, they do start playing well in five and six, and, but it then they're just not getting the saves. And you're just like, oh man, I mean, can't something work all together? Nope. Well, in game five, when Bednar said, we just, we made three mistakes, they were just all in the back of our net. I don't really think he was calling out Grubauer because it, if he was, if there was even a, a whiff of him doing it, then any of, uh, 
the Denver Post guys would have jumped on it because that is like the easiest storyline for them mm-hmm. is to is to blame because yeah, he's been so constantly down on the defenseman the whole series. I'm sure they all took it like, well, you know, it's like put these idiots out. Anything can happen. It's not Ruby's <laughs> fault, right? Exactly, and so. <laughs> I I didn't necessarily take it as him calling Grubauer out, but it's like if you take him literally at him saying that, that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Also, I don't, I don't think he intended to, but he kind of did. Um, and then yeah. in six, and, yeah, it, it wasn't just like, hey, we know this was tough, but we need to save Buddy. He had two bad ones. The first yeah, one like Holden's where... goal. You're just like, come on, dude. Hold, you weren't hold, even yeah. looking at him. Holden's goal. You're just like, Hunter Miska <laughs> saves that. Like, what? Yeah, if he sees it. According to Micah, that was like 0.015 expected goals. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and I didn't like the face-off goal. I know it was he was probably screened, but he he wasn't even on the post. I mean, that puck just skipped over there because the post was open. I didn't like that one either. But like, so, it, I'm at the risk yeah. of repeating myself There are a couple here, goals. Because I'm gonna. Um, these, these were, most of these weren't, one of them was a breakaway. They're not all breakaways with the point stands. If you get scored on on a breakaway, it's a breakaway. What are you gonna do? Don't give up a, a breakaway. You get scored up on, scored on on two breakaways, you, you kind of would have liked to have one of those saves. If you get scored on on three breakaways, you got you got to find a way. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't think of any huge like wow, Grubauer, you know, that was amazing moment either. Like I think maybe once in game 5 when I was there, they had the big old Gru chant because he made it like a really good save. That that's it. That that's Yeah, I mean the cr- the crowd's so into it, it like bounces off the post they're like grew you know i mean it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a fun thing and and that's you know that's what it's about people are having fun but but it didn't happen either right and people would have been like, so yeah. excited to say like oh that was a good save it there wasn't any of that well to their credit vegas did not really test the left pad of doom they knew better instead they tested the the right pad of being on the ice <laughs> um but yeah uh, obviously none of those goals happen if the abs can take a little bit of care of the puck just a little bitty bit um but you got you gotta have one of them and if you get one of them if it's the third i mean if you get the third one then maybe the abs don't win the game but if you get either of the first two the abs go into vegas up three games or two yeah, and and you have a better shot. You, you at least know you're gonna have Game Seven at home, and could be a, could be a coin flip, could be a bounce, could be anything. But they just they didn't even put themselves in the position for that. And I, I hate to use the third one for anything because that's in overtime, and the Colorado Avalanche had won I don't know how many playoff games in overtime in a row. It's got to be like five. <laughs> it's several. It's usually Miko who scores the goal. Um, but I, I don't think they lost a game in overtime since like that game seven to Minnesota. I think you're right. Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything right now because I, I know they won I'm sure they won an overtime game again in the San Jose series and Yeah. Won an overtime but against Calgary, won an overtime against St. Louis. 
frustration. There's there's one factor that we haven't talked about at all is is also the other side of the coin. You can't keep the puck out of your net. How do you mitigate that? You score more. If they had score, if that score had been three to nothing in game five, maybe they win three to two with mm-hmm. the mistakes. And there was a total no show of McKinnon in games three, four, and five. I think he he made a really nice pass to Taze in game six, and I think overall he was more effective, but. In particular, in that game five, even though Bednar changed the matchup to keep McKinnon away from Stone, which was a matchup that Vegas was hammering over and over and over again. And winning by a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they neutralized him. And, and it's funny because the abs don't, don't care that much about matchup and they're fine going best on best because they know the other team's skill guys don't want to be in the D zone either. And I'm cool with that, but when you're getting beat by a matchup, you can't just go with the philosophy of we're just going to do what we do. But what I'm trying to get at is I saw McKinnon live in front of me in game five, and I said if he isn't hurt, which I'm sure they're all banged up at this point, and I'm sure there's something a little bit wrong with Sam too, but we're they announced no injuries. We're not going to give anybody an injury-free pass. I said, if McKinnon is not injured, he should be embarrassed because I thought he was that bad in game five. I, I think the frustration a lot of fans are is very similar to what you're saying is just, you know, why didn't Mac take over that series at some point? And I'm um, not expecting like, hey, he's a heart finalist. You know, he needs he needs to have some sort of espn special performance like i'm not expecting that i'm expecting you to do some anything make one play that makes a difference it, it, it was just nothing it, he had the point he had a point on nico's overtime goal in game two i guess you could argue whether or not he should give he gets credit because that did help them win the game it was a power play it was a pretty standard pass he did execute it it did win the game but nothing for three games for a guy that's you're supposed to be a league MVP or team's MVP is not good enough. I mean, you can't have nothing. Yeah, and it yeah. wasn't just that he was creating all these great chances and they weren't going in. He was creating nothing. He, he, was, he was giving up on stuff. He, he could win a board battle. All he would do was just have a pointless rush into the zone, either turn it over stop, button hook, make a pass that gets picked off. Like, that's all he was doing that game. Yeah, I mean, he had a ton of shots blocked. And, like, you know, he shoots a ton. So that's, you know, that that's just going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I think when Mac gets a lot of shots blocked, it, it's, it's because he's not moving enough. It's because he's either holding onto the puck too long or shooting too quickly, or it's just his timing isn't right. Um, You know, it's like his shot rates were fine. They, he was, you know, he did have a lot of shot attempts, but it's just, they weren't doing much. And this, this is not to excuse. If you're, if you're a heart finalist, you're a top three player in the league, you can find a way. Um, But McKinnon dried up. As the what you're allowed to get away with went through the roof. McKinnon spent most of the middle of the series with 
no space to do anything at all, usually with multiple golden knights smothering him, which this is where you find a way because it means somebody's open, doesn't it? Um, but and, yeah, you could um, you could see him getting like you could see him getting in his head with it. You can see him getting frustrated at the at the end of the second period of game six when White Cloud there's like twenty seconds left in the period and White Cloud just decides Nathan McKinnon you don't get to play the rest of the shift. This pins him to the boards, and they end up having a wrestling match in front of the official, just punching each other in the face on the ice. Um, but you can see the frustration boil over where he's just sick of wearing Vegas Golden Knights as blankets and. He, he's never going to use that as an excuse because he knows it's on him to find a way. And I'm saying the same thing. It's just that that is a factor of what happened here is he got completely smothered and couldn't find a way out of it. Right. And he doesn't get the, oh, Vegas was too physical on on him. Is he not tough enough, big enough, strong enough, blah, 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 blah. No, he doesn't get that. And I agree with you, especially in the first period in game five he was getting mugged. And that was funny because that's when Miko, he got that first penalty, which was total BS in game five for them having an incredible shift in the offensive zone. And he, he got that stupid cross-check penalty for nothing, basically fighting for space in front of the net. But that wasn't cross-checking. You thought that was a cross-checking penalty? I think yeah. that's Oh, it's so, it it's so much dumber. It's so much dumber. Wasn't it? It was, I think that's what they announced. I, that's what I remember. It was, it was interference. Yeah. Because he skated through Marc-Andre Fleury's stick as someone tried to hand it back to him. So Marc-Andre Fleury lost the stick, so that was interference. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much dumber than a cross-check that didn't happen. So much dumber. And then that's when he... And then after that, that's when McKinnon got mugged. And, and then that's when Miko just said, screw it. And he pushed Carlson down, and that's what caused the first goal. For the abs. And and then McKenna started doing the same thing, which was funny, because William Carlson is not that weak of a skater. He should not go down that easy. <laughs> we see you. But if but like you said, if if physicality is something defensemen are expected to overcome, then your top players are expected to overcome it. Because like you said, if you're covered, if they're doing that to you someone else has to be open you have teammates and he he gets in hero mode and tunnel vision and you could just erase him and one stat i thought was crazy is that up until game six which he did make that great play to, to taze was mckinnon had zero points in all elimination games in his nhl career and he did have two in game six so he's off that night now and yeah, in game seven's nothing, and the game six against Nashville, nothing. Like, he has to be better. And it was just hilarious that then he's dominated for the heart trophy the morning of game six. <laughs> but I guess it worked. He at least did something. So, kind of on a know, similar vein of, of, you know, finally having done something. And I reminded of this because you said elimination games. Andre Burakovsky gets a goal in game six. But and that's it was hilarious like too. his first positive contribution <laughs> in three weeks. Yep, pretty it's much. Terrible because I thought his season was so great. It was. It's, it's just like you told him the playoffs started, and he just all his game vanished. Like, like I thought he was going to be a difference maker because he had momentum, he had confidence. He he was but carrying he didn't have Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Let's. That's it, it, I, I I you know. I, I, I I think that's a little too much of an excuse. I mean, they're just. I, I mean, he. 
he was doing things that should have been effective that weren't. But I mean, there are also times when he wasn't that great too. I mean, it's a tough call why he just kind of ghosted until I don't know, you know, the the one goal, which is hilarious because he's he's now second active all all time all time, but active in elimination game goals. I think he only trails Ovi, and now it's <laughs> ten, which is just so funny. It's so funny that you can just do nothing and keep that kind of streak going. 10 goals in 14 elimination games, if I remember reading that right, (laughs) which is stupid. 10 goals in 14 games. That's that's QMJ stuff. Even especially after you were having, like Earl said, a pretty bad three weeks. You're just like, hey, we're going to score now. And it could have made a difference. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I doubt he woke up and was like, boy, I think today's (laughs) the day. I'm going to get a goal. You know, I mean, it's... (laughs) It's it largely random when you get like a very specific stat line like that. But I he, I know we we don't have the time or the scope to get into it. I do believe there's some semblance of clutch. Just just some guys can bear down and focus. Uh, others can't. I don't know. It's weird. It's funny. It's hilarious that he showed up and did the thing and but yeah, overall he has to be better. I mean, Truly, everybody has to be better. I don't think there's nobody gets that gets a free pass. There's nobody that was even, I'd even say, good from the whole Vegas series. Brandon I mean, Sonic. again, I just, I, I don't, Sonic. you know. I, I, okay, I, okay. I, That's a fair point. That He's a fair one. If you're going to give anybody a positive grade, yeah, that guy showed up and put the puck in the net. Yeah, he was fantastic. And then just to be ultra clear on this, the official Burgundy Radio position on Is Clutch Real is I'm banning you. (laughs) (laughs) I'd argue it, but that's okay. But I'd have to ban you. (laughs) I mean, I I do think you can enter a game that, you know, perhaps has more on the line and be able to deal with the pressure better. But, you know, as far as you know, being in the moment and that puck goes an inch left or right to, to sort of further your legend. Um, you know, that That's kind of, it's a little more luck than I'm comfortable with. So well, you, in his case, it's a little stranger because he'd been doing nothing, but that's there's always so a funny <laughs> playoff. Yeah. Playoff. So-and-so like playoff sod. I, I don't think that's just nothing. I mean, it's kind of like Nemestikov last year didn't do anything until he scored two (laughs) goals in the game seven. Sure, that's more random. But when you look at a guy like Saad, who is a known playoff performer, he is taking... I wasn't comparing him to Saad. I was comparing him to Berkey. (laughs) No, I know. But I'm also saying that's another example of someone that's known as quote-unquote playoff Saad. And it's something that you can actually like invest in. Yeah. And the guy shows up and puts the puck in the net. There's probably more to some someone being consistently that much better rather than like, oh, hey, it's a playoff game and Berkey finally did something. That I agree, that's a little that's a little random. <laughs> there, there, there is definitely something to be said for being able to play the kind of hockey that gets played in the playoffs. And Brandon Saad is very much an in-tight kind of guy, which makes his softy on flurry from the blue line even funnier. 
Yeah. Oh, that was great. Flurry was getting too arrogant trying to catch the puck like that. And it's like, what did you learn? Nope, you got beat. <laughs> so yeah, the, we, we kind of hinted at it just now. The only other kind of ongoing narrative that we, I, I feel like we have to mention exists is that the Avs, uh, quote unquote, lost the series because they didn't have Nazem Kadri. Um, that, that, that is going way too far for me, but we're going to get into this for a minute. Um, it's, it's gotten increasingly hard to blame Kadri for his suspension for me. Um, after seeing Andre Palat lay the same hit in the second round and get not eight games off, but two minutes. <laughs> for a second, I was about to say, I didn't hear there was a suspension, but no, there wasn't a hearing. Me. I know. <laughs> he tears a guy's head off from the blind side and gets a man, a minor penalty. Kadri makes the same hit and it's an eight gamer. We'll let you make it make sense. But just from the framework of Colorado didn't have Kadri, how impactful was his absence in this series? I don't think it starts and ends with Andre Burakovsky. Well, I think one is that you wouldn't be having Joe's taking draws in the D zone. Could that have made a difference? Maybe. But I don't know. It's tough for me to say this because they lost nobody else. It was crazy. They had no other injuries or at least injuries that were bad enough to keep somebody out. And it, it's just like they lost him. And, and that's kind of like the excuse of why none of the forward lines work. And he was working himself down the line. If people don't want to believe it or not, like he was not the 2C by the end of the season. He hadn't scored. Bednar had been basically talking about his game being crap for at least a month. Like, he was heading down the line. But no doubt, yeah. in a playoff series, he'd be looked at as a veteran, taking key face-offs, things like that. But if he was in the lineup, would there have been more, stu more stupid penalties? Probably, maybe so. Would there have been more scoring chances that led to nothing? Maybe so. Would there have been more poor defensive coverage? definitely i say that one so you know are they a better team without him i'm not saying that you want to have your full roster and he he is a guy that fills a role and has been there but he also wouldn't have been 100 percent positive is what i'm trying to say yeah i think i mean he's definitely the the glaring absence since he's the only one so it's just feared you know if you're trying to point the finger it, at somebody not being available, then yeah, I mean, he was it. Um, I do think he could have brought something that might have helped the Avs, and that's chaos, and that's something he's good at. Um, it might not have been directly responsible for um, more goals or better play in, in games three and four or whatever, but I just think that when you have a guy like that that's skilled and can bring a little bit of chaos, um, I, I think it could have broken up what Vegas was doing to the Avs because it's just they were doing the same thing over and over and it was working. And it's just nothing the Avs were trying to do, if if they were trying to do anything different, was, was having an effect. And, and Nas is the guy that can bring something, that can change a game like that. Um. I mean, if he was made available by any arbitrators, I would have said, yeah, put him in. Absolutely. But I just, I don't know if that's like your factor of why you can't be the abs and play your game. I just, I don't know. It's a bit of a bridge too far for me. Like, right. 
like, sure, you want to have every advantage in your favor, but if that's what you can't overcome, somebody that played so bad and was pretty much like a foot away from the doghouse, I, if that's the only adversity they had, really, this whole playoffs, that's pretty weak. I'm going to steal a line to to kind of close this part off from the Steve Dangle podcast from the other day or whatever, which was to just to kind of take away the circumstances and all the context and just take the guy off the lineup. If Nazem Kadri had been abducted by aliens during the St. Louis Blues series, is anyone talking about the Avs lost this series because they didn't have Nazem Kadri? I don't think no. so, but you're right. You no. don't know. You don't know if if those, those they did win were... four straight after he got booted, so I mean, it's not like they were having a problem right off the bat. It's just the yeah. next four. It, it's because of the circumstances that that he was that he went out, and yeah, it, I think it's pretty clear that his absence was felt. Um, but I think it's also pretty clear that's not the reason they lost the series. Just like turnovers aren't the reason they lost the series. Just like goaltending ain't the reason they lost the series. Just like officiating ain't the reason they lost the series. Like everything piles up. It, yeah. You, you can overcome Nathan McKinnon go, going cold for three games. You you can do be- you can win despite that. The Avs have done so before. Like, it's just it's a big pile that eventually becomes a little bit too much. I guess here's a question. Was it as a distraction? I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to say, but I mean, uh, I, I doubt it. It distracted Toronto. Yeah. Does that <laughs> count? That's true. They seem to care more than anybody else. Because now their big angle is, well, what does Colorado do with Kadri? What do you do with him? Do you trade him? To who? Like, <laughs> you'll, you'll play him next season and then he walks in free agency. Why is this a question? If you can trade him for an upgrade, you do it. Who's the upgrade? You play him next season and then he walks in free agency. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's the most realistic. I don't get it. Um, but I, I saved this one for last specifically because it is just such an amalgamation of shit. And the Avalanche are good enough to overcome two, three, four things not going their way over a seven-game series. But when that many things just go wrong, uh, the, uh, that's why if when when I see people who seem to think they know the reason the Avalanche lost this series, I I just think I'm never listening to you again <laughs> because there are it, 500 reasons why they lost the series. Definitely, and I think there's there's always more than one reason. It. There's a reason why it's a seven-game, if you get there, series. There's a reason why one team scores goals, the other team scores goals. But this year, it just feels like there's just really no excuses. They did it to themselves. A lot of these problems, they caused themselves. Of course, by a good opponent. But they were holes they put themselves in. They had leads. They scored first. It, it's it's not like you could say bad luck or injuries or this or that. It's just they fell apart, and it's too bad. 
Well, I mean, they also played a, a higher level of competition than they ever have in the playoffs before. Um, you know, it, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, it just, you know, it, it makes, it makes losing to San Jose and, and, and Dallas just sort of, you're like, you know, how did they, <clears throat> how did they get so close against teams like that and then just fall apart against a team that's, you know, better? Yes, but not, you know, incredibly better. I don't know. Maybe they were. I mean, we'll see in a couple of weeks, but it's, and I think we'll also know when we see how they respond next year, if how they play in the regular season, it, is there anything they can improve on? And then, then they'll have to prove it in the playoffs. And, and yeah, I think the Vegas is the toughest series they've had. No doubt. It's, I don't take that away from the situation at all. I don't take that away from Vegas. I know I'm definitely the highest on them of any three of us, but uh, maybe, was... maybe in terms of much you like them, but I think that's a fantastic hockey team. Okay. I think that's fair to say. I think a lo- nobody feels like they're frauds or whatever. No, so absolutely not. Um, the, the general consensus is that we just lost the cup final. And I, I kind of hope it goes that way. I feel a little bit better if, Hey, you got you got steamrolled by maybe a team that had a little bit of destiny in them or the team that ended up being the best at the end. Like if they lose to Montreal, and I'm sorry, Earl. That'd be awesome. Everyone is gonna feel <laughs> awful if they except lose to you. Montreal. Everyone is gonna you. be everyone <laughs> is just gonna feel like, God, th- this is just terrible. You know, it's human nature. It's human nature to kind of measure yourself up to the team you lost to but what i didn't like if i was gonna you know put a bow on it i just didn't like how they just had nothing after they lost control just win one more game it just that's how you were in a fight like they almost got reverse swept like they were winning game three and from that point on they just had no answer they they shouldn't have been winning game three in the first place they got smoked in game three but, I mean, it's just a team that won 11 in a row and six in the postseason, won the President's Trophy, all the winning streaks they had. This that's best analytic team in history. Just all this crazy stuff. And just in the span of six days, it just had nothing. No answers, no pushback, can't even win another game. I mean, when they were up two to nothing, you were saying, there's just no way this team is going to lose four out of the next five. And Surprise, they lost four out of the next four. It's, so how much stock do you guys put into the Curse of the President's Trophy now? Zero. You know, there's a few curse. Well, what what about... And I don't mean that, that as a curse, but is it, it, it's, it, it's sort of like you see a team, they win the President's Trophy, and they, you know, they, they fall a little short in the playoffs. And then it, it's a year or two later that they just sort of you know, come in as a three seed or something like that and end up winning. Um, just because it, once you've won the president's trophy, the, the regular season doesn't have the same focus anymore. I, uh, I don't know. Cause they just, they had to win it like the very last day and they had to win it with Jojo and net and everything. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like when Tampa won, it clinched it with like three weeks to go that one year. And just, you know, oh, whatever, man, they, like 
like Tampa had nothing to do that whole season. Like that division was so crappy. They knew that that team had nothing to do since like late January. Speaking year. of crappy divisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ours kind of, ours kind of had two teams in it. Yeah. Which, which is we two more fight. than the North. Well, we, the point is we were fight. It's not so much that like you're the bad teams are bad. It's that they were fighting for something. The abs were fighting for something all the way till the end. They had to be Vegas the last, what, five, six games in the season to, to even have that chance. They had to win both of the last two against LA. It, there's a difference than when you have it math, math, basically mathematically wrapped up is what I mean. Like the top, it was a lot closer at the top of the division than when some team has a 15 point lead on number two. <laughs> like Vegas so, is going to have next year. Oh God. <laughs> you would think. So I don't know if it was that, that changed their, I guess what I'm trying to say, I don't know that it changed their mentality because it wasn't like they were just coasting on like, boy, we were great, but maybe all of that great, greatness started to get to them where you win 11 great you sweep a series you start to nothing are you just really fighting at that point like i th- i think there's more to the whole uh a team that swept a series versus a team that went seven loses i think there's more to that than than just saying like the president's trophy is a curse because how you arrive at the president's trophy is in so many different ways but when you're on that kind of role and you really haven't had to fight through any adversity, just like last year when we said the two Brazils against Arizona was a bad sign, and then Braziling Vegas, it just, it's like it took the fight out of them. Maybe they got overcome. I know that it's like Dater's favorite line. You know, they got overconfident. They read their press clippings. I think they're great. <laughs> I don't think it's that. Like, I think they're a smart, mature enough team to know that they weren't just going to be handed the cup. But it's just a matter of you just stop fighting. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's no, really I think, hard to turn that back on. No, I think you had it with they weren't really tested until, you know, probably probably early early to mid game three and at that point it, it you know at that point it's really tough to adjust to that because it's like you've done the same things and they've gone so well for so long and it's like you can't you can't start messing with things when you should because as a coach, you're looking at things like this is going wrong and I need to change this. But it's like you also need to be patient with the guys that have gotten you, you know, where you are by doing these things. Um, yeah, you're sitting there going, it just worked for two months. What's different? Yeah, and I totally right. get that. Like, you're you're not going to. I mean, it, it's no one situation gonna... for Bednar because it's like if he starts messing with things and then loses the series like he did, I mean, that doesn't work out well. And if you don't do anything and they lose the series, then that doesn't work out. I mean, it, you got idiots like us yelling about um, all, the, all the things you should have done or all the things you shouldn't have done or both. Right. I mean, you're, you're going to second guess yourself no matter what happens. So it's just, you know, I, I guess, I guess I hope Jared Bednar learned something about himself and coaching here as in sort of, you know, the warning signs were there 
and and how how best to react to them um, if they get in that situation again. I just, or perhaps is there something that he could have done earlier, like even in the middle of the blue series, um, that that would have thrown a game so they were not a sweep team going against a seven game team. <laughs> no, I mean it could be any. It could have been switching up from chicken to steak or something like that. But it's just you know there are what there's bothers, there's a lot for him to think about over this off season. What bothers because, me is he got away from stuff they've done before. Like it's one thing right. to say. You should have. You should have thought of these crazy, you know, crazy things you've never done before. No, it's things that you've done. You've done a lot. Like the other thing is, like, if you went seven defense when you put Mc, you get McKinnon out on that fourth line, and he's even said it before in pressers. You know, McKinnon can play more minutes. You put him out there. You, you're getting a mismatch with the fourth line. He could double shift. You know, he's even said that before. And it to not even do that, not to switch up the D pairs, not to even use stuff that's in your toolbox. That's what drives me crazy. It's it's not, boy, you didn't reinvent the wheel and sit around and come up with the craziest strategy you could think of. Yeah, okay, you're a good team and you've been good, but you didn't even do what made you good. That's what drives me crazy. You've got something sticking out of a piece of wood and you don't know what it is. And you got a hammer on the shelf. If the, if it's a nail, you've got you've got a hammer. You don't know if it's a nail. It might be. You you never even try the hammer to find out. Yeah, it's just they they got scared. Not as, not think... asking you to go to the store and buy a hammer. Not asking you to turn a power drill into a hammer. Asking you to use your tools. Um, and that and that was just where with with Byram specifically, it got so frustrating because it. It's a bit of a risk to put him back in the lineup. Sampo Aranta. He didn't play for three months. Logan O'Connor. Like, you, there, there's there's no there's no excuses left other than Byram wasn't physically ready. And they told us he was. So. Yeah, it. Well, and the other thing is. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it seemed clear they didn't want to play him in limited minutes. It, what would have happened if someone got hurt? What would have happened if it would have been McCarr, Gerard, and then you really can't move the puck? Would you have put him in oh, the no. end? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or would you have said, well, you know, God, we now we need him for more than just a few minutes. Now we're going to need somebody for a lot of minutes. You know, not even if they don't take that role exactly, but there's, there's a, a lot more burden on everybody else. It makes no sense. I, I don't know. It's one of the most upsetting, stressful. It just, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out next year. I don't know. It worries me. It stresses me out. And I think it hurt them. It hurt them just because their D was getting taken advantage of in that manner in which he could help. You know he has speed. You know he can make a pass. It's just, even if he was just on the ice and could have recovered, some of those disasters, which he had done plenty of times in the past. He had some really great back checks that, that saved high danger opportunities. It could have made a difference. It just, it really makes no sense, especially when he came out and said, you know, we're thinking about using him in the series. He has some tools that can help us. They put him in front of the media. They don't do that for anybody. And then... Was there too many people getting in his ear? Did management not want it for some reason? 
you know, were they pushing some of their, some of their assets with, it's also funny that better even mentioned management was involved in the decision. He's he ever said that about anything else other than, you know, maybe like burning a guy's ELC. No, he's never said management is involved in lineup decisions. So it just, it feels wrong to me. It's garbage and fix it. That's all I have to say. Management should never be involved in your lineup decisions. <laughs> so yeah, uh, here we are. Technically out in the second round again, even though, like I said, in a fair world, this is probably the cup final matchup. And uh, Colorado face UFA for Gabe Landeskog, Brandon Sod, P.E. Belmar, Carl Soderberg, Patrick Nemeth, Philip Grubauer, Devin Dubnik, Jonas Johansson, and then, of course, also RFA time for Tyson Jost, Connor Timmons, Kale McCarr, and expiring deals for Adam Werner and a few other miscellaneous that teams seem to have little NHL interest in for good or bad reasons. But that's 10 spots off the roster who need to be either re-signed or replaced. And there's also the specter looming of Seattle's expansion draft on July 21st. Uh, our next episode is scheduled to drop before then. I think we're going to be trying to do it um, after we get the final protection lists and exposure lists or whatever they're called. I don't know. Um, but that, that, that weekend before <clears throat> Seattle gets a team. So with... Uh, with, with that in mind that we have plenty of time in the future to talk about all this stuff, where do we go from here? Because this was, this was an alarmingly good team that fell short. Some of the reasons that it was alarmingly good are no longer signed. Where do we go from here? And I will say that we've, we've talked most this whole episode about the things that went wrong. I still like a lot of what this team is. I like core, the, their identity, they're, they're not going to lose anybody except for Landy, which just seems like he's going to get signed. He's even said it, they've said it. So we can pretty much fairly assume all those guys are going to be back. If we can get full seasons, please don't send them to the AHL. Abs. New Hook at Byram, you know, as they grow into NHL players, that should help the Avs. Like, they're in a good position. They're going to be a good team. I would still give Bednar another chance to maybe learn from some things because I think his approach in how he uses the defenseman has given them a competitive advantage, and I don't want to just throw that out to get a guy that comes in. Like, be careful what you wish for because you're going to get a guy that has a more traditional viewpoint, and you might lose a lot of what makes this team good. So I want to see this team come back the way it is it's just a matter of they have to address address their issues they have to learn from what happened and i think we'll know a lot more after what happens next year if if they get thwarted again or if there's any other reason why they can't get it done but where they go from here i think the first thing that is going to pretty much domino everything else is what you do in goal because if you decide that you're going to pay Grubauer, I don't. I think of all the other guys that are up, up for a contract, he's the least likely to really give a discount. Because he's never been paid. This is his time to get paid as a starter. You know, I, everybody will probably get asked, don't you want to be part of a good team? Come back. We're not going to pay you market rates. But they're probably going to have to get close with Grubauer. And that's going to be a tough decision because I don't think it's a slam dunk 
I also know you're then you're gonna have to go out and find another NHL starter, and that's way easier said than done. But I think that decision decision affects everything else you do. It affects who you can sign, how much money's available. Can, can you even sign Makar long term? Do you have to bridge him? Um, they might just because he's an RFA, he doesn't even have uh, arbitration or even offer sheet rights. They could just save him till the end. It sounds crazy. Like he's probably he is the most important guy, but there's just so little leverage that he has. You can just wait and see how much money's left over, and just say, "Hey, Kale, you know, if you only have six million bucks left over, it might just be a one year deal." So you have to decide what's in goal because if they get to free agency day on July 28th, he's not coming back. What we've so, seen in this playoffs yeah. is that the current market inefficiency in NHL cap management is having a fucking illegal playoff roster. Um, <laughs> Nikita Kucherov plays zero regular season games because he's on IR, not counting against the cap. And now he has 18 points in the playoffs going into round three. I don't know what he did today. I didn't watch that game. Um, my understanding is not much. But yeah, they only scored one goal, but I don't know. Not enough. <laughs> but like, so maybe that's what you do. Maybe yeah, wink, wink. Kale McCarr holds out all season, and then signs a prorated deal on the last week of the season, and Cublamo. <laughs> here's what you got. I don't know. You're right. There's a there's a real big blank space in goal right now because the Avalanche have two goaltenders signed. One of them is Pablo Francois, who we love on the show but has not played in a season because of injuries and surgeries, so that's a yikes. The other one is Eustace Ananen, who you would be justified oh, no. in saying who, because he's just not come over from to North America yet. Oh, no, no, there's one more. His name is Hunter Miska. That doesn't count. E- <laughs> <laughs> he's on an NHL contract. Yeah, I mean... I, I think the Gruby thing is a that that's sort of that that's sort of the toughest decision that that Sackick's going to have to make this summer because you're looking at it like here's a guy that might not be able to win us a cup. He's 30, and he you know there really isn't a better option out there. No, not not uh, in free agency. He's the guy. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't know who's available for trade, but that would, you know, that that's going to be spending assets and money as well. So, um, I, it, it's I, tough I just, I, I don't know what you do. Like, I don't know what their evaluation of him is. It's because tough I, be- as we've discussed, his numbers are not that good, um, from this playoff run. Um, and you can definitely make the case that, you know, hey, make a save and we move on. Um, so that's that's really tough because, I mean, you you can't go into next season with, you know, even something relatively untested. You know, like trying to get Grooby, you know, a few years ago when they got him, they 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 really can't do that again. Um, I mean, maybe they could. You know, maybe they feel confident enough in the team that they could get an up-and-coming backup that, that's ready to be a starter um, in, in, instead of paying up for Grubauer. And it just, it it could backfire so bad that I just can't see them doing it. I, I mean, they're, you know, he, 
Grubar has all the leverage here. He's basically like, look, I'm your goalie. You got to pay me. And um, with the Vezina nomination. Think, yeah, that, <laughs> right. That and it's just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the key is basically limiting, you know, what, how far you're willing to commit time-wise. Because, I mean, the money's probably pretty set. Um, I just... The easy thing is just to pay him. And I, I feel like the Avs yeah. do like the easy thing. But they also really haven't paid for goalies. Like, they paid Varley, right. but it was still... It was a five-year deal. It was still, like, 5.9. And and that was after... And they regretted it. <laughs> well, did they really? I mean... I, mean, I think they kind of did. Farley won a round three game today, so... And Varley was oh, just right. was so up and down with with this yeah. team that I you I mean you can you can find a lot of a lot of goalies that can be up and down for you. You don't need to pick, lock one up for five years to do that. Yeah, right. exactly. Like they want to do that with with Ruby and it. I am generally like, team never give a goaltender term, and that that's just where I come from. I you may be stuck. Yeah, it's like it, it's one thing if Grubauer is like twenty seven or twenty eight. You know, then you're like, all right, five years, okay. Um, but you know, as we've kind of seen, it's like goalies in their thirties. It's a it's a really different ball game than skaters in their thirties. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, my problem is I'm not sure Gruby can win a cup. Um, I. My I'd that, be okay that's that's with... that's probably the biggest trepidation I would have with signing him to, a, you know, any contract and especially a long term one. I'd be okay if we start with him as the starter. Like, we know how he is. He does good with with when they limit quality against him, and and he can be consistent. We saw that this year. He he did have a really good year, but he was awesome for this me. Year. For me, yeah. it's more the the opportunity cost. It's it is the money if you can keep a guy like Saad. And, and of course, then there's other factors that lead to that, too. It's not just the goalie, but that's the big expense, and that's going to kind of dictate what you can do down the line. And I don't know if the opportunity cost of paying him is is worth what, what you could do somewhere else. And, like, with the expansion... Yeah, I mean, without office, knowing the alternative... It, it is hard. And, and I know it's like, okay, if he's not the guy, then who is? And no, I don't have an right. answer for that. But with the expansion draft, and that every team can only, there's <laughs> no way that's going to happen. <laughs> with, with the expansion draft and the way that teams can only protect one goalie, there's going to be a lot of goalies that are going to be exposed. There's going to be a lot of teams that are willing to trade a guy away for something rather than leave exposed for nothing. So they could potentially dig through some of those fairly decent up-and-coming number twos they might even still be waiver exempt because the goalies get the one more year of waiver exemption so they could be going into fourth year pro and still be waiver exempt you know there there's a lot in that category of the groupies that they went and looked for last time the guys that are on the verge of being an NHL starter, but they're not going to get paid. These are guys that are going to still get paid like two, three million. You could tandem that with Frank. I know Frank's a huge risk, but I have been a fan of his game. I think his talent is there. And if he is healthy, I'm okay if he is a 1A starter next year. 
if you have if the other counterpart is a real guy that you went out and got that is an up and coming one B that's like Ruby because then that's your future in net. But like Earl said, you are kind of winding the clock back by doing so. It is a risk, but it's it's a risk that they've yeah, taken. I mean, you also run the risk of yeah, I mean, you, you run the risk of, you know, I mean, Varley has obviously done quite well for himself away from the abs. And it's just, if you get rid of another guy that goes off to a team and, and ends up playing in the final four a couple times, I mean, you just, and, and you're <laughs> still, you know, losing in game six or seven of the second round. Um, you right. know, if, that, if that, you that's could a way to look back, real dumb. Would you just pay Varley? If you could. I know at the time it was it was hard to say. No, if you could go I'd back, pay Varley if Mitch Korn could come along. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would maybe go back and just keep Varley. I've always felt like Varley got a bad rap. but I mean, he's, you know, he dealt with injuries already this playoff series, and, and he's got, like, the world's greatest goalie coach. So it's like, it's not surprising that, like, there's still a little up and down with him. Well, um, nobody's ever going to be injury free. Like no. God, we don't know. But I'm just saying injury free. Right. I, I'm just saying. I you know that's that's sort of a sideways move in, in my mind. Yeah. Well, Unless we you get Mitch Corn. If you get Mitch Corn, then that's definitely an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mitch Corn may be the one of the most underrated factors in the NHL today. Um, right, but but if we I just talked guess... that much about one thing yeah, Colorado one. has to do. Yeah, the... but it's it's pretty key. It, it is. It is pretty it, key. It, it's and it's the first decision they're going to have to make because they just have to make it pretty much now. It's right. It's not something that can be put off. So they need to either extend Grubauer or find the replacement while teams are still panicking in the pre-expansion era. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah, Era is the very wrong word, by the way. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so we should pretty much know by the time the, the expansion draft rolls around what they're going to do in net. And if they don't, then... Then we're downgrading. Yeah, then... then Because you can't see them want to pay you... If they're not going to pay Grubauer, they're not going to go out and pay UFA prices. Right, they're not going to pay Freddie a lot of money or something like that. I, I, I mean, I, I do think, I, I do think, you know, if if they decide not to to stick with Grubauer, I, I do think they're going to do something. They'll make a to trade. Make an act, yeah, they'll make some sort of acquisition of a younger goalie. They won't have a choice. They will have to do that. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Frank and JoJo, they they could get it done. I don't know, but. Uh, I hope they keep JoJo as a three and just accept it, wave him, and keep him around. Yeah, that'd be all right. I, he, he's not quite a backup. No, I don't. Th- I don't think that that's a good strategy. But keep him as a number three. I'd be fine if he made some starts. He he is what you want out of your number three. Um, yeah, absolutely. M- might lose you a game, but probably not. Uh, like your your number Lost two fewer than Dubnik. Your number two should not lose you a game, <laughs> and your number one cannot lose you a game. Is the way I see it. Um, yeah, that's fair. 
So anyway, that's why we're going to break this discussion out into its own thing uh, about a month from now. Um, but it, just to jump back to the original question, which was where do we go from here? Jackie says run it back, and I so do I. I if you can bring back, like if you could bring back everybody that Colorado started this season with, I don't want to bring back your acquisitions that didn't work out. Um, yeah. But if you can bring back everyone that Colorado started the season with, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah and they probably fair. can't. But I mean, just trying to keep as much of the team together um, as possible. Yeah, there's no reason to blow it up. There's no reason that if there's some crazy dumb trade out there because teams are panicking over the expansion draft, great. But if not, they don't need to make a big move. They don't need to go out and target Eichel, which is like the dumbest idea, and I won't get into the reasons why. Or Seth Jones. <laughs> Seth Jones. We definitely just won't get into stop. the reasons why. It's just, and those those wouldn't even be the big moves. Like getting Taze was a big move. Like that's a big move that had impact, but it wasn't like going out and getting Dougie Hamilton because everybody knows the guy's name. It's it's like if they're gonna make a big move, it's gonna be on their terms, and that's fine if it's there opportunity someone's lost their mind great if not bring the team back with a few tweaks i'm okay with that too run it back you you don't need yeah. to overreact to one week of hockey and change everything change your change your identity that's how you destroy your whole franchise like uh like calgary did like vancouver did like buffalo did as uh both the two of those are from boston by the way um just because that you yeah, overreact to something that happened in the playoffs. Don't do that. Well, and also, I, I think it's very tough to take a lot out of this season just because mm -hmm. you you basically played in a, a closed division. And we're not really going to know how, you know, how, what effect right. that had until that next year. Maybe they well, weren't the just, best team since analytics was created. We don't know. It's not, it's not that. I mean, they're good, it but it's just... <laughs> I, I think we well, have to no, entertain that you're not sure. You're not sure how you're good. Um, you're not sure which things are going to work long-term you know, against the, the great majority of the league. Um, and it'll and be fun just, playing some of those other teams. Some of those teams that don't defend. Yeah. Some of those teams that play more wide open. Like, Oh yeah, they were legitimately good. Like you expected this team to win every game. Like that—that that is a a new echelon that they entered. Yeah, for but sure. What we're talking about are they good enough to win a championship? Are are they the hands down best team in the National Hockey League? And like you said earlier, that. you don't have to be the best team to win a championship. Nope. No. You have to be good enough. In fact, it might to, help if you aren't. You have to be good enough to give yourself a consistent chance to be there. And I think yeah. that is part of why some people are suggesting these things. It doesn't matter if, say, Gerard's good in the regular season, he can't perform in the playoffs, he'll get rid of him. And that's, that's still just such a reactionary because you don't know what is going to work for you in the playoffs. Do not overreact to two weeks of hockey. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I don't think the abs will. I think I do believe in Sackick has a, he's built this team a certain way. He's not going to deviate from it. But what their big test is, is the money part is that they've always been able to operate with that cushion of money. 
and what they do when money really starts to become a factor for them. And they've done a great job staying away from the UFAs, the long terms. They don't have any albatross contracts. That's great. But if you want to keep some of these people, you're going to have to start giving out term. It's it's or time to keep Gabe, Long, Gabe Landeskog. It's time to pay Kale McCarr what he's owed. And it's time possibly to, you know, pay for Philip Grubauer. And you would sure like to have Brandon Sod back, although that seems pretty unlikely. And it seems a lot more likely that somebody's going to give him a silly contract. Um, but you'd like to have that guy back, too. You, you don't yeah, have I the cushion so. anymore. He- yeah, Saad would definitely have to be taking a, I like this team and I think we're going to win. Like, if he wants any semblance of the money, even in this financial landscape, which might not be what he would have got two years ago, he could still find it somewhere else. So a lot of these guys are going to have to take a little bit of a haircut to stay. I think the term on Landy's contract will probably be regrettable at the end of it. Yeah, probably. But that's something you're you're just... He's your captain. That's something you're just going to have to live oh, yeah. with. Kind of like oh, the yeah. EJ one. The EJ one's too long, you know, but... The thing with Landeskog specifically, unless they start picking up a whole bunch of high-end forwards that are real, real young somehow, by the time Gabe Landeskog's contract is too long, the team's looking to do something different anyway. Probably. You're talking seven, eight years from now. And he's not going to get in that eight, nine, ten million anyway so if he gets like around six seven for six years maybe a touch too long where you live with it it's but it's definitely going to be the other stuff like they they just can't you guys turn. don't have a lot of faith in our captain that's pretty sick <laughs> <laughs> well we he, he didn't plays... talk about his performance against vegas yeah he, he was pretty rancid in this series but he plays a, a style that doesn't age well well, it's kind of well, like EJ. I mean, it's like, okay, back then, of course you were going to pay him. Of course he, he had earned the six years. It's just, when you're kind of at this point, you're, you really wish it wasn't two more years, but it, he's also not somebody that you just, you're just going to buy out either. It's just, you just kind of live with it. I mean, I think Gabe could last pretty long in the league. And and I think, you know, once the hands kind of go and, and maybe the scoring goes down, He's a guy that you could be. He could have as a veteran bottom sixer that could do a lot for you as I well. I could be like Felino or something. I don't know. It's so it's fine. I'm not worried about Gabe. Like like. Yeah. What, what so I'm worried about, worry about. What, what I'm, I'm not worried about him. What I'm worried about is what they're going to do to replace Belmar Sod. Um, like this is where to make everybody fit under the ceiling. This is where you need your ELC forwards to you know, internally rise onto their roster. And, and yeah. yeah, and it's time. And, and like, I'm not getting into it, but this was the year you get guys like Cowan Bowers ready where they can at least be bottom sixers. And now they're not, you know, I, I, I don't think they can bring back Calvert and Belmer. And I don't think they could go out and get the vet version of them just because I think they even know two, three million bucks is way too much for those guys. My worry is, they're going to look at guys like Sherwood, the, the AHLers that are super cheap. I mean, those guys are, make $700,000. So it, at least it's not a drag of going out and signing some hero vet to $3 million, but it also prevents you from internally graduating who you should be. So I don't count on it. I mean, 
I think Newhook proved that even in limited minutes, he made a difference. Like he's the one that made the pass on the Don Squid goal in game five. We didn't talk about that. Like I still think he has a ways to go defensively, but he's just somebody that's gonna be worth it in your lineup, regardless of of what other bum you could get. And you know, anything beyond that, at least at forward, it's tough. I mean the sample thing was fun, but if there's just no way they're going to sit around the table and say this guy's is on our team from day one. So no, <laughs> I it, it's I nice to have don't... someone with ceiling though. Yeah, I, I hope they call him up. Like I hope they make him a, a serious option. But it's just uh... he, he can replace he who shall not be played, and you can actually play him. Yeah, wow. like call up. Yeah, call what him an idea. The future. And if O'Connor's still around, like cool. He's some some guy that that's cheap. I think he's only like seven twenty five. He's a guy that should definitely be replacing Calvert. Like if you if mm-hmm. you think of Newhook replacing Belmare and you have O'Connor replacing Calvert, great. I, I you've saved a ton of money, and I think they could fill those roles. It, obviously, in different ways. Newhook's not going to be Belmare, but then I think you're in a good place with your roster. And then you just have to think about what you do with about the sod place, which I, they're going to sign someone. I don't know. It's funny to me, like all these projections just say, well, you don't have any money to sign anybody in free agency. I mean, that, <laughs> come on. That's it's not never going to happen. Not all this team works. Yeah. You're not going to go out and get nobody. It's just a matter of what. <laughs> all right, y'all. That is two hours and 15 minutes. Um, of being really upset because the Avalanche lost in the playoffs. Um, we definitely did. Uh, you specifically, Jackie, took took time to say, you know, this was a great team that we love a lot of what they do. Um, so what you're getting is a lot of the emotional response kind of dictating what we're going to talk about today. Um, this, it's, uh, it just, it's just kind of shitty to end the season on, on such a sour note. Um, but that's what they did. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Um, we don't have a win to talk about. Nope, not a single that one. Was on them, not us. <laughs> not our fault. Um, so thank you very much for sticking with us throughout this whole nonsense that has been the COVID season. I, in a way, I'm almost relieved that Colorado didn't win this cup, so that we can point at whoever does win it and say asterisk, and it's not us. <laughs> thank, so thank you very much for sticking with us throughout these, this long show that it's been and all our other long shows that we always have because I try to target 100 minutes and sometimes we even make it. Um, we will see you back bef- after we find out who's going to be exposed to, say, to Seattle, but before they're actually taken, we'll talk some free agency preview stuff then, a lot more of the kinds of conversations we were just having, but a little bit more, you know, specific and in-depth and actually knowing a little bit about what the fuck we're talking about because we've had time to think about that instead of why can't Andre Burakovsky clear the zone? Um, and then we'll be, we'll be back again after that, after the draft and free agency dates have passed so we can cover all that at the same time. It'll be great. It'll be beautiful. Take a break. This season has been an absolute pressure cooker for burnout for covering it. Which also means that if you're listening to a hockey podcast in June, you're a hardcore. So it's been burning out, for, burning you out too. Take a break. Do some other things. There, there, there are other things in your life that you love. Do those. We will see you back again 
on whatever fucking day in July we decided. 18th or something like that? I don't know. Before Seattle's expansion draft. You're just, you're just like clenching because no, it's insane you see, because all right. You see the puck get worked back up and there's <laughs> nobody covering. Did Earl just try to interrupt you and get punished yeah. by the universe? <laughs> no, I, I... <clears throat> Oh yeah. You didn't, um, you didn't drop out. Are you sure? But go I ahead. am sure. Yeah. It would have been very funny um, if you just dropped out. <laughs>